1: Today, we're going to continue our discussion about the challenges and opportunities of using data. Joining us again is Howard Lux, who is the Managing Director at IOTA, which is an audience technology platform that enables the intelligent use of data. The IOTA team helps marketers, data owners, and research companies to provide distinct, comprehensive, and qualified audience data using a technology platform that transforms audience data to enable organizations to make smarter business decisions, understand their customers, and enrich their marketing strategies. And yesterday, Howard and I talked through the view of the publisher's data challenge and opportunities, and today we're going to discuss the In-House Marketer's Guide to Building a Data Roadmap. Okay, here's the rest of my conversation with Howard Lux, Managing Director at IOTA. Howard, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me back, Ben.
1: Excited to have you here. Yesterday, we talked a little bit about what life is like as a publisher, about how marrying third-party and first-party data together can provide some really interesting results in not only understanding who your customers are, serving up great experience when new people get to your websites, and also helping you with your advertising strategies. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about building a roadmap for data. Talk to me about what you consider to be a data roadmap. So putting back
2: on my data management platform hat from many years ago when I worked at Blue Kai, for a marketer, I think first and foremost, it's understanding what elements of your customer engagement, at least online and offline, are important to you for driving effective marketing. In my world today, in terms of building out a data marketplace, it's similar. It's understanding what's important to our marketing partners when they're trying to prospect for new customers. And so from where I sit in the world, it's trying to make sure that we bring in data elements that cover every aspect of the purchase funnel, from showing intent to wanting to buy a product, through to having bought a product, or even affinity to a specific brand. So that when we go to a marketer, we can kind of bring them solutions in every part of the purchasing funnel.
1: So the data collection is only part of the battle. There's also, just like a good marketer, building things out into your funnel and understanding the potential usage of that data. You mentioned somebody that's in the market for a purchase, high propensity to buy. Talk me through some of the funnel that you think about as a data aggregator and syndicator. When you're collecting all of your data and you're aggregating it, how do you figure out how to bucket it?
2: I think of it in a few ways. So If we go to the top of the funnel and intent data, I try to think about where are the places that consumers go to start doing research on products or pricing out products or configuring products. So I try to go to sources like online travel agents, car configuration sites, price comparison sites, more intensive consumer review and rating sites. So we will try to strike partners with those sites get them to put our JavaScript tag, working with them consultatively to define the elements that are important, such as route pairings, to my example, on a travel site. And then we will normalize those into a taxonomy.
1: So that's interesting. You're working with websites essentially that are at the top of the funnel and dropping a pixel on their site to say, okay, I know that this person's likely going to be buying a car soon because they're showing up on, you know, car gurus and they're looking at research on multiple cars. They're showing an indication of interest in the category, even if they're not down to the dealership level.
2: Exactly. And even a step further, they're actually configuring a car, right? So they're going, I want a Toyota Prius that is four-door and white. So you're capturing those elements and you're saying, if this person's done that, they probably have a pretty high propensity to buy a car in the next X.
1: I've been on all of those sites recently. We're about to have our second baby and we're thinking about buying a larger car. And I actually can't believe I haven't been advertised to yet. I've been on every car comparison site looking for luxury third row SUVs. And I haven't got a single ad for the like, you know, Lincoln Aviator or whoever the other competitors are for third row SUVs. I'm shocked. Clearly, people are not implementing the data that is being collected. So let's use that as an example. All right, I'm thinking about buying another car. I need a bigger car. I'm expanding my family. So, what's the next step in the funnel that you're looking at?
2: So the next step in the funnel from a car perspective is, can you partner with a company that has registration or ownership data? And in some instances, to your example, it might even be partnering with somebody that has demographic information on makeup of households. So Somebody like Lincoln might come in and say, okay, we want to build a few audiences. We want to build one in audience that is made up of people that we know that have owned Lincolns for four plus years because they're probably in market now for a new luxury vehicle after being four or five years old. We're going to overlay that with that intent data so that we know it's, they've owned a Lincoln for four years plus they were just on a car configuration site configuring SUVs. And we may now add the element of we know they've been through a bunch of new parenting sites and are probably expecting a child, right? And so we're building our prospect audience out of those elements to hopefully get us to an audience that will drive people to a dealer to buy or test drive.
1: Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutnex. There's an interesting component of this that we haven't talked about, which is what's the relationship between the publishers and the data collector? Obviously, you're paying the car configuration sites for access to that data. What do those relationships look like? Assuming you're able to talk about them, people are paying for access to that data. And I think that's where consumers might start to feel a little icky of like, I went on to cars.com or car gurus or Kelly Blue Book thinking I was configuring my car using their site, and now there are non-first-party data users that are collecting and aggregating my data. How do those relationships work?
2: Yes, the creepy factor, right? How do you balance the creepy factor?
1: How do you not be a creep? It's something us marketers need to keep in mind, kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So commercial, commercial model-wise, we
2: ostensibly pay revenue share for every piece of data that we sell for coming in from a partner, right? So we capture a piece of data, we sell that piece of data, and a partner gets a percentage of the revenue that we make off of the data elements that they provide to us. In terms of the consumer, I wish I had a better answer, but if you take your Kelly Blue Book example or Auto Trader example, somewhere in their data usage terms, they have language that says, you know, we are reselling or making our data available to partners and that is what drives an open and free advertising, publisher, and internet ecosystem. And that is how partners of ours stay in business.
1: Obviously. And you know that's what keeps the internet free. And nobody wants to pay for the Kelly Blue Book or car gurus of the world as an end destination. They're willing to trade their information and their data in exchange for the free service. Hey, newsflash, that's the way the world works. Yes.
2: And that's where we want to be careful in terms of definition. So us at IOTA... We deal in aggregated and anonymized data, right? What we're capturing is an aggregate of lots of users that have searched for cars, lots of cookies that come from that, right, which is an anonymous identifier. And then that's dropped into a category. And to my earlier example, it's usually a category made up of not just that of auto intender, but even elements coming from other data suppliers that indicate you know, new parents or geography. And so you take all of that and you have a very large aggregated audience of lots of anonymous identifiers. So I don't know that it is you, Ben, that's expecting a new child down to your household and your email address. It's just a random set of cookie IDs.
1: It's cool. I already said it on a podcast. It's public knowledge now. Hey, everybody, we're having a baby. (laughs) And if anybody has a luxury SUV that they're looking to sell, find my email address and let me know. Okay. So we were talking through some of the different funnels, the stages where there's propensity to buy, actively looking to purchase. What are some of the other segments that you think about?
2: Sure. So there's also just general interest, right? Hobbyists, enthusiasts. Our data is first off verticalized, so travel, auto, B2B, consumer technology. And then it's intent, interest, and purchase base really are the three main buckets. And then obviously we have demographic data.
1: So when you go back to thinking about how an in-house marketer can build a roadmap, understanding that the data providers are thinking about getting ready to buy, actively looking to buy, ongoing hobby, right? They have a general understanding of age and some demographic data. How do you put that all together as a roadmap and actually improve your marketing strategies? Let's
2: stick to our auto example. So there's a difference between Mercedes or Jaguar or Lincoln have their 2020 models coming out, but they're not in dealerships yet. They just want to build brand awareness, right? So in that instance, maybe they're simply just buying interest segments of car enthusiasts and luxury car enthusiasts. However, now we're in 2020, those cars are on the lots and car manufacturers and dealers are thinking of all of the sales that are going on in Toyota or Lincoln or whomever want to get people into dealerships test driving. So now they want to start thinking about, I want to look at the purchase-based data you have that may indicate length of time of ownership. Or I want to look at the intent data that you have that where people have gone and configured and searched for cars so I can actually start driving people to a dealership to schedule a test drive. So it really depends on what your marketing strategy is at the time.
1: As we hear about how data aggregators and data resources think about how they're collecting data, you have to map that against what your marketing strategies are. If you're trying to build awareness, the data aggregators are looking for people that have shown an interest in specific categories. If you think about somebody that is in the buying flow and you're doing more direct response advertising, you're going to go for a different bucket, somebody that's actually had the baby already and has gone to the parenting sites for the last 40 weeks, something along those lines. So Mapping not only what data is being collected, but also to what you're trying to accomplish with your marketing strategies is really the secret sauce here. Yep.
2: And I have a good example of an agency that also thinks in terms of, they have a couple of large brands and they think in terms of what are these sporting events that our brands spend a lot of money to advertise and sponsor? And how do I even target audiences that are going to those sporting events to align with the sponsorships they will have at those events. Again, in terms of building brand awareness, not necessarily driving people into a conversion funnel, but just keeping continuity of message across the places that they are already spending money.
1: That's where the Lincoln Aviator marketing team decides, hey, we need to get Matthew McConaughey to run Lincoln Aviator ads on college football programming. Damn it, they got me. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Howard, I appreciate you coming on the show and walking us through not only the data collection process, but also understanding some of the different ways that marketers can think about the usage of data and how it can help them build their roadmap.
2: Thanks a lot for having me.
1: Okay. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Howard Lux, Managing Director of IOTA for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Howard, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet. His handle is Lux, H-L-U-K-S. Or you could visit his company's website, which is iota.com, E-Y-O-T-A.com. Just one link in our show notes that I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com. It's M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D.com. We have episode summaries. We have the contact information for our guests. You could sign up for our once a week newsletter, even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is MarTechPod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or you could reach out to me directly. My handle is Ben J Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning.